0: I'm not sure exactly how long ago, Caroline got me for either my birthday or for Christmas a coffee mug and on this coffee mug it says, dad's the boss, mom says so. <laughs> now I, I like this coffee cup, it's kind of funny, but uh, the, the, the irony in this little coffee cup is it really does a good job of encapsulating uh, one of the big struggles that our culture has when it comes to authority, who's in charge? Is it mom? Is it dad? Where's the buck stop? And so I think that that battle uh, that our culture faces um, is kind of indicative of something greater. That when we hear the word authority, our mind almost always goes to something negative. It's very hard for us in our culture today to process the concept of authority without processing authority through its abuse. So we begin to uh, see authority figures as someone or something that is going to take something away from me that's going to make me do something I don't want to do, is going to force me into a situation I don't want to be into. So I'm going to reject authority because I am an authority to myself, no one can tell me what to do or how to live my life but me. Now, how many of you guys, I don't know, you, you listen to sports talk radio, you watch ESPN, you hear the 30 for 30 uh, intros for these sports documentaries? Where they always start with, what if I told you? Right? So what if I told you that authority wasn't actually a bad thing? What if I told you that authority was for our benefit and for our good. What if I told you that authority was actually part of God's created order before sin entered the world? Look with me at two passages in Genesis from the creation story. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says this, and God blessed them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's it say there? What was God's command to Adam and Eve? To f- multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over earth. Now in Genesis 2.15, we see something else. We see later that God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and this is his instruction to them. It says this in verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Now I want you to think about these two concepts set next to each other. The idea that man's job before sin entered the world, man did have to work, So don't think that work is part of the cursed. Work is cursed because of sin. Not work was the result of sin. So we had a job before uh, before sin entered the earth, okay? But what was going on here? We see that man has dominion to subdue the earth uh, and then give an instruction to work and to keep it. What this tells me is that God had given us the principle of stewardship of his creation. He empowered us with the authority uh, uh, over the earth, and then he charged us with stewardship with that authority. With great authority comes responsibility, right? With great power comes responsibility. I'm going to quote uh, Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, right? So uh, here's, here's what that means, okay? God empowered Adam and Eve for the job he's given them, and that job was stewardship, it was supposed to be for the good of the earth, the good of the world, that they worked and kept the things that God had given them authority over. All right, these are our concepts that go hand to hand in God's perfect world the idea of dominion and uh, the idea of stewardship. They go hand in hand. Because God wanted to bring about His good for the earth, He gave authority and purpose and stewardship so that they could care for what God has put uh, in, in under their protection. So we see this pattern established in Genesis that, that God in his perfect design, all right, uh, used his authority, um, exercise, uh, to <clears throat> authority in his perfect design is exercised not for the benefit of the one in power, but for the one under its care. Let me say that again, all right. So God in his perfect design Gay used authority, all right, and expressed authority uh, for the benefit of the one in the authority's care. So let, let's go back to creation itself. Why did God create the earth? All right, now, a lot of people will say that, the, that God created the earth uh, because he needed to be praised. He needed to be worshipped. The fact of the matter is God didn't need anything. All right, we do not add more glory to God by glorifying him in our worship. We do not add anything to him by praising his name. He is sufficient, independent of humanity. So what that means is when God created the earth, when he made everything that is, whose benefit was it for? It was for ours. God expressed his power and his authority for our benefit. Similarly, God gave authority to humanity over the earth, supposed to be for the earth's benefit. Authority exists for the benefit of the one in whose care that authority is over. All right, now, uh, let's let's come back to how this applies to our passage today. All right, we uh, struggle with authority because we so often see authority used and abused for the advantage of the one who is in power. We see authority used and abused for the advantage of the one in power. And so in our weakness, we long to have that kind of power and authority over our own lives. So we, we grab and we claw for this power and authority so that we can be free from the control of others, and we resist any claim that others may have over our lives. Now... The way we see Jesus use his authority is not like the way we see sinful people use and abuse their authority. Jesus uses his authority for the benefit of others. Today, we're going to see Jesus display his authority in several ways. And in the end, we'll see that people were comforted by his authority and not threatened by it. In fact, we will see today that people were not drawn to Jesus despite his authority, but people were drawn to Jesus because of his authority. So if you're uh, taking notes at home today, here's what we're going to see, all right? Today we're going to see that Jesus displays his authority in three ways. He displays his authority as a preacher, he displays his authority as a master of the spiritual forces, and he displays his authority as a master of physical forces as well. Now, and then we're going to see that all this authority was for the good of others. All this authority was for the good of others. All right, so let's, let's jump into our text today and see how Jesus displayed his authority as a preacher. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. It says this, and he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. His word possessed authority. Now, the, the exegesis on this verse is about as straightforward as it gets. What does it mean? It it means that Jesus preached with authority. Right? I mean, it doesn't get much more simple and basic than that. Jesus preached and taught with authority, and the people recognized it. I mean, boom, done. That's it, right? Okay, so there's, there's probably a little bit more to it than that. We can do some hypothesizing about what it means by the fact that Jesus' teaching possessed some authority. All right? Uh, one thing it probably means is that when Jesus taught he did not lean into the authority of others to teach. Now, you guys know I just finished some schooling, and so when I think about this, I think about this in terms of academics, right? Part of how scholars show that they know what they're talking about is they quote other scholars. They'll say, all right, well, according to so-and-so, this is true, and according to so-and-so, this is true, and as a matter of fact, you can't do a research paper unless you have gobs and gobs of other people uh, backing up the claims that you were making. I'm, I, I'm not an authority. Let's just take Greek and Hebrew for an example, okay? So as somebody who teaches the Bible, I need to be familiar with Greek and Hebrew, but I am not an authority. I know enough Greek and Hebrew to fumble through a dictionary and know how to read a Bible dictionary, but I'm no uh, Hebrew and Greek scholar. So whenever I sit down and weigh one interpretation over the other, you know what I'm doing? I'm leaning on the authority of someone else and saying, this guy makes a better case and a better argument than this lady, so so which one do I go for? Which one do I agree with? All right, I'm leaning on their authority. So part of what this could mean about Jesus as one speaking with authority is he don't care what any of the other rabbis say. He's the one who comes in and says, this is how it is. He comes in and he speaks with authority. I also think that what it means is as Jesus spoke, he spoke in a way that was compelling And you felt like you needed to listen to what he had to say because it spoke directly to your heart. Now, we've talked about this in the past, right? You can speak confidently and you can make a compelling case and you can still be wrong, right? Okay, so just because you have a compelling case and you're a dynamic speaker doesn't in and of itself make it right. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, and so when he speaks, he speaks on his own authority, and he is making compelling arguments that penetrated the hearts of these people and made them pause in awe of the authority that Jesus had as he spoke. Since it was so compelling, you simply could not ignore it as though it was directed at someone else. Okay, so there are lots of compelling preachers out there, and there are lots of compelling speakers out there that are leading people straight to hell. So if Luke said Jesus spoke with authority, and we said, yeah, of course he did. He's the Son of God. well, That's actually kind of a circular argument, isn't it? He has authority because he's the Son of God. Uh, All right, we see it in his preaching. Yeah, that's where his authority is. Well, why does he have authority because he's the Son of God? You see, it's kind of a, a circular argument. So by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke shows us that Jesus has the authority of God in his preaching, and he demonstrates that authority in other ways as well. Why can we trust his preaching? Why can we rest in the fact that his preaching has authority? Because we see his authority at work in other ways. So right after the people were astonished by the authority that, that Jesus has in his teaching, we see his authority displayed in a second way. And that's that Jesus shows his authority over spiritual forces. Jesus shows his authority over spiritual forces. Let's look at uh, chapter 4, verses 33 through 37. It says this. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out and report about him, went into every place in the surrounding region. All right, so how do we know that Jesus' teaching and his preaching had authority? Well, because his word had, had such authority and such power that by his word, the demons left, the demons fled. Now, this happened in a place that lots of people could see. Now, remember, I want you to think back to the beginning of Luke when we started uh, this series a couple of months ago. What did we say was Luke's purpose? Well, Luke's purpose was so that his readers would be confident that they would know the truth of what they've been taught about Jesus. Not only that, he said that he took the time to interview eyewitnesses. You know who one of those eyewitnesses probably was? One of them was probably Peter, the Apostle Peter. Now we're going to meet him in just a minute. He's uh, Simon Peter that we're going to talk about in the next section. But uh, he probably talked to Peter and got this first-hand account. Right now, we're in Capernaum, which is uh, Simon Peter's hometown, where he lived, where he did business out of. And in just a second, we're going to see that they left the synagogue and went to Peter's house. Now, what this means is people observed Jesus do this, saw this, this expression of his authority because this was a public situation right in the middle of the synagogue. People saw Jesus' authority in his word. Now, a little side note here who else recognized who Jesus was? All right, uh, we also see here that, that the demons were afraid of Jesus' word. Have you come to destroy us? Is what the demons say. They recognized his authority, they recognized their power, and they were scared of Jesus. Not only did the spiritual forces obey him, we get the sense that they were terrified that Jesus was going to destroy them right there. But what we're told is Jesus wasn't interested in their testimony. Jesus silenced that spirit. He did that because Jesus' actions and his teaching were all the testimony he needed. Jesus' authority didn't need to be vindicated by the enemy. Jesus' authority could stand on its own. Now, I want to uh, draw your attention to this. Jesus used his authority for the good of the man who was afflicted. How was his authority expressed? We see that when he spoke, the spirit left. And what we see here is that the man was left unharmed. When Jesus used his authority... It was for the good of others. This man left the synagogue that day, changed. His life was better because the authority of Jesus had been expressed. So Jesus showed the people he had authority over spiritual forces. But what we see next is that Luke shows us that he has authority over physical forces as well. All right, so so far we've seen he's, Jesus has authority as a preacher. He has authority over spiritual forces. Now let's look at his authority over physical forces. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 38 and 39. It says, And he arose and, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they, appeared, they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. All right, so this is Simon, Simon Peter here, all right, who, who will later become the Apostle Peter and a friend of Jesus. This is the one who would preach at Pentecost and write First and 2 Peter. All right, so where we are in Luke 4, Peter and his family ask Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. Now, look at how he heals her. What's he do? It says that he rebukes the fever. Why the word rebukes? Like in other places, he lays on hands and he heals them that way. Why use the word rebuke here? Some people say that this is a link back to the word, uh, the way the word is used in verse 35. Basically, the idea here is that Jesus rebuked an evil spirit of illness. So, just like he rebuked an evil spirit in uh, uh, the demon possessed man at the um, synagogue, now he's rebuking an evil spirit of illness in Peter's mother in law. Now, listen, I I certainly think that there are scriptures that would lend us to say that some physical ailments are the result of spiritual forces. But I don't think that's necessary in this case. Okay, I don't think that this is necessarily, in this case, uh, an appeal to uh, another spirit involved here. I think Luke is showing us that Jesus has such authority that even the physical obeys him at his word. So why use the word rebuke? Because it's his word. Later in Luke, in chapter 8, what we see is Jesus uses his word to re- rebuke the wind and the waves. And he uses the same word rebuke. We see Jesus rebuke a demon. We see Jesus rebuke an illness. We see Jesus rebuke a storm. His word is where the authority is. He speaks and things happen. Jesus rebukes the fever and the fever is gone. Again, I don't necessarily think that that's an expression of the fact that there is a, a demon causing this illness, just like I don't think a demon was causing the storm. It's his word that is uh, speaking authority over the situation and bringing healing to Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So what, what kind of authority does Jesus have? He has such authority that at his word, she is healed immediately, And she's not just, you guys know how like the day after you're sick, you're like still wrecked? Like you don't have a fever anymore, but you're like, I'm doing nothing today, right? What's it say about her? She was restored, and immediately she got up and began to serve. We see that she was better because she was under the authority of Jesus. She's healed, and she's restored under the authority of Jesus. Again, we see Jesus using his authority for the good and care of others. Now, we see begin to happen as we move into verse 40 and 41 is that Luke doesn't want us to think these are isolated incidents. This wasn't the only demon that was cast out, and this wasn't the only person that was healed. Look at what it says in, in chapter 4, verse 40 and 41. It says, Now, the sun was setting all those who Who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he, what do we see? rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, the big takeaway is that Jesus was expressing his authority on a wide scale. Peter's mother-in-law was not the only one. The man in the synagogue was not the only one. And we even see that word rebuke show up again. I think the point is that Jesus was letting the authority of his word speak for itself to the point that he silenced the evil spirits. People didn't need to hear from them because Jesus had it covered. Now, something... uh, stuck out to me as I studied uh, this passage this week. All right, now I know it's been a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to think back to the temptation of Jesus when we covered uh, the temptation of Jesus just a couple of weeks ago. A big part of the temptation that Jesus faced was using his authority and using his power for his own advantage. Remember how we talked about that? Think about the idea of turning the uh, stone into bread, that was using his authority, using his power for his own advantage. Now think about when we talked about the, the kingdoms of the earth and the second temptation. The enemy, Satan, tempted him with the authority over all the kingdoms. And remember what we said is that when, when the, what, what was at the heart of this temptation was an advance on what Jesus already knew he had. He already knew the kingdoms were his. This was an advance on what he already had. And and what, what we see here is the temptation was to use his authority for his own advantage. And Jesus rejects both of these situations. And then we come here just a couple of verses later and what do we see? Jesus absolutely has the authority here on earth. He didn't need the enemy to give it to him. He had it. But Jesus was not going to use that authority for his own advantage. He's going to use it under submission to the Father for the benefit of those in his care. I think the temptation of Jesus shows us that there is always a temptation to use authority for our own plans and our own purpose. But Jesus submitted his authority to God the Father, and he refused to use his authority for his own gain. Instead, we see him use his power and authority for the good of those he served. And since he used his authority to serve others, something very interesting happens in Galilee. Let's look at the next passage in verse 42 through 43. It says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. All right, now we can look at verse 42, and honestly we can spend a whole sermon talking about how Jesus needed rest and how he went away, and and that would be totally appropriate. But what I I want you to see is that despite all these expressions of Jesus' authority, The people still hunted him down. Now, think about our culture. Authority is scary. Authority challenges us. But when we see authority used appropriately, when we see authority used for the benefit, care, and good of others... These people who experienced Jesus' preaching and his authority, they see his authority over spirits, they see his authority over the physical world, they craved the protection that came from the authority of Jesus. They sought it out. Now, what's interesting to me, think back to where we were just a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the city of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. All right, just a couple of weeks ago, just a couple of verses ago, Right before we started our passage in, at the, uh, verse 31, all right. so right before we started that, the people in Nazareth wanted to kill Jesus. They drug him to the edge of town, and they wanted to throw him off and stone him. Now what do we see? They, they rejected Jesus' authority. Remember he said that the scriptures of Isaiah had been fulfilled in their presence? They thought that was good, and Jesus was like, listen, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Let me tell you what I'm saying. They're like, wait, You're claiming to be the Son of God. You're claiming to be Messiah. They did not like that. They rejected His authority and wanted to kill Him. Now what do we see? We see a people who's willing to, at least to some degree, accept Jesus' authority. They found comfort over His authority and they desired to be there to the point that they didn't want Jesus to leave. Now that kind of rocks our paradigm, doesn't it? That, That quite possibly... Being under good authority is a blessing to us. That it's there to provide for us. And what we see is Jesus using his authority in a good way, demonstrating to us that his authority can be trusted. Because it's easy to come when his authority is setting us free. It's easy to come when his authority is delivering us from demons. It's easy to come when his authority is uh, healing the sick. But what if his teaching presents something hard? What if his teaching really gets to us? What if it calls us to something that we struggle to see is for our own good? Do we still follow his authority in that case? In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, the setting is still Capernaum, all right? In John chapter 6, it probably takes place several months, maybe a year later. So we're talking about the same people. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So again, what do we see? We see Jesus express his authority all right? by giving them food, his authority over creation, by filling their stomachs. And we see Jesus again, it's good to be under his protection. And in John uh, chapter 6, we see that, uh, uh, that the people actually were so impressed by the fact that, that Jesus had fed them, that they wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him king. How much did they like his authority? They wanted him to rule them. But Jesus, much like in Nazareth, didn't want these guys to get the wrong idea. So he challenged them, and he pushed them, and he really made things uncomfortable for them. You want my authority. You want me to be king. Let me tell you what that means, Jesus says. So you guys should go back and you should read John chapter uh, 6, verses 25 through uh, 69, I believe. Um, I don't have time to read all that today. But I want to kind of give you a cliff's notes of, of what this exchange was like between Jesus and these people who said they wanted him to be his king, but didn't fully understand all, all that it meant to be under the authority of Jesus We'll just pick up in verse 25. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the sea, so he fed them. They wanted to make him king. He ran away. He literally walked on water to get away from them. And they found him. All right, so when they found him, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, is, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. Now, they wanted to believe in the food, the benefits of the authority, But they weren't necessarily interested in believing in the one who had authority. They wanted the benefits without actually submitting. So it goes on in verse 35. Jesus said to them, all right, they want food. This guy, man, it's like he's wise. It's like he's the son of God or something. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. He's showing them the good that comes from the expressions of his authority. Trust him, believe in him. And they're like, huh uh, just give me some of that food. So, verse 41 the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Do you see the similarities to what the people in Nazareth said? Don't we know this guy? Who does he think he is? They want the benefits. They don't want to submit. And then how does it continue? Jesus gets real weird. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, you, will give for the... And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How could this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. All right, he, he doesn't say, Truly, truly. This is a metaphor. He doubles down, because, man, Jesus is weird sometimes. All right, uh, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink now man that's heavy but you you got to remember all right what what did jesus say to satan whenever he challenged him with bread when satan challenged jesus with the temptation to fill his belly What does he say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. Now, how does John start out his gospel? John introduces Jesus as the word, the word of God. So when Jesus says, like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, that's like super creepy, okay? But what Jesus is saying is the word of God satisfies. You think you want bread. You think you want these physical benefits of being under the authority of God. Let me tell you, the authority of God has much more to provide for you than what can fill your bellies. I am more. And people said, not good enough. What I'm really interested in is what you can do for me and mine right now. And it says in verse 66, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, who was under the authority and got to see Jesus rebuke the illness in his mother-in-law, understood That his word and the authority of his message was as much protection as what he can give physically. Listen to what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. That's what he offers us. The words of eternal life. You see, God has placed his authority over us for our good and for our benefit. And he has asked us to believe in him and to trust him. The hard part is, sometimes we love the things we have so much it's We love the things we do so much, it's hard to trust God in those moments. We we want to hang on to them. And what we see here is Jesus says, my authority is for your good and for your benefit. And our struggle is to believe that we are actually better without this thing we're clinging to. It is for our good to let go of this false thing we've put our hope in. Being under Jesus' authority is saying, I want to do it your way. You know what's best. You know what's right. And if this is what you've called me to, then I want to walk in it. When we we don't let go of those things, we're no different than the Galileans in Capernaum who said, can you just give me some bread? What I, keep all that like word is truth stuff to yourself. What I really want is to be fat and happy now. Okay? What I really want to do is be satisfied now. What I'm really interested in is what I can get here right now. And he says, man, you're settling for so much less than what I have to offer. We cannot allow ourselves to get our mind fixed right here in our little bit, little bitty moment, this thing we want to protect. Now, when I start saying that, this thing we want to protect, this thing we want to hold on to, I'm quite confident that for many of you in this room, something came to mind. There's that thing you don't really want to let go of, that thing you don't really want to stop doing. Maybe it's worry. I really like my worry. When, when I worry, that means something's getting done. Worrying is progress. Eh, not exactly, right? Maybe, maybe it's anger, right? If, when, when I'm angry, it, it means I'm doing something about it. I'm expressing that this is not okay, and I'm a justice person, and things should be okay, right? And so we, we defend our anger, whatever it may be. Maybe it's materialism. You know, God really wants me to have more, so I share more. And yet when it comes time to share, you never share. What what may these things be that we're holding on to that God has said, for your good, I have placed you under my authority. Will you listen to me? Will you walk in what I've called you to do? Will you obey me because it is better? Do we believe him when he says it's better. The praise team's gonna come, and we have our opportunity to respond. What I want you guys to be praying as we sing these last couple songs is, Do I trust Him? Tis, tis so sweet to what? To trust in Jesus? To take Him at His word? Didn't we just sing that song? When we say we trust Him, we trust Him for our salvation, we trust Him for our eternity. Do we trust that his authority is expressed for our good? My, my invitation to you is to pray, God, what do you need to show me about my heart? Where am I hanging on to things? Where am I refusing to believe that your authority is good? How do I walk forward in this truth knowing that your plans are for me and not against me? Would you pray with me? Lord, let, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would just work in our hearts. Help us to see your truth. Help us to know where you're calling us. Help us to know what to do. Father, we, we want to obey. The flesh is weak. Father, we thank you that your mercy is more, that you can meet us in our weakness and give us the strength to walk in your truth. Help us to do that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please